Good morning, everybody. This is the Monday Main Point, and I am Blake Flincham, the children's pastor here at Rose of Sharon Baptist Church. I do kind of apologize for my voice here. I am a tad bit under the weather, so I'm sorry for that with this being my first uh, hosting of the podcast, but I am joined here by my fellow brothers, uh, our lead pastor, Jeff McCarthy, and our youth pastor, Jeremiah Custer here. So, fellas, let's start out just by this. How was, <clears throat> how was your Thanksgiving? It was great. I got to go home to Gastonia and uh, kind of had a little hiccup, went by the um, my gravesite for my mom and dad and my uncle. And while we were there, my car <laughs> wouldn't go in. When I turned my car on to put it in gear, it wouldn't go in gear. So I'm like, uh-oh. So what my, well, my nephew came and helped us out, came and got us. And luckily, AutoZone is open on Thanksgiving. So, oh, praise God for that. So we were able to get a little switch. And uh, so he fixed it. I said, man, that was great. I said, how'd you learn how to do that? And he said, well, you know, I used to work on airplane engines, so it was nothing to it. So that was really a blessing. So that got fixed. I uh, had a day off, which is rare. So that was nice. Um, uh, we originally wanted to, like, stay home and just do nothing because that's what we do. We like that um, on our days off. But... Uh, so we told, like, the Wilkerson's always invite us and some other stragglers that don't really have family. Uh, and they're always not, they're super nice. It's always a really good time. But we, we had told them no. Um, but then I found out Jonathan and his family were stuck here because they didn't know what was going on with Christina and COVID. Right. And so we did a little joint uh, with our two families, just mine and Jonathan's family. A little joint Thanksgiving. And... Uh, it was a good time. We had way too much food for our two little families because, like, Autumn's not even here, so right. his family's a little smaller. And um, had way too much food, pie. Like, we had it all. Like, I, I haven't had a traditional Thanksgiving like that in forever because uh, my family normally does steak on Thanksgiving and Mexican on Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> so and that's actually what I told them. I was like, let's just do Mexican. They were like, nah, bro, let's... We got meat. Let's cook the meat, and it was cool. it was a good time. It was nice. a good time. I'm glad that worked out. Good, good. Well, we hope. <clears throat> we what hope about you? It was uh, it was really good. I got to go back home to Dobson and just kind of chill out for about th- like four days, which I rarely get to do. <laughs> so I kind of feel that Jeremiah. So yeah. it was, it was real good. Uh, got to just got to hang out with family. Got to see my great grandpa, who I hadn't seen in a while. So he's 86. Seems to be doing all right here and there. So. It was good to get to just kind of hang out with family, so that was a that was good. Hope all of you listeners had a great Thanksgiving as well. We uh, enjoyed, for the most part, watching you know our teams play this weekend. Still a little bit salty about what Duke did to Wake Forest, but I was telling Jeremiah, I hope all two hundred fans that they had in their stadiums oh, yeah. sit home happy. <laughs> so let's uh let's get into the uh, let's get into the uh, sermon here. So. Jeff, uh, talk about a little bit about um, why you chose this passage in Genesis chapter 32, verses 22 through 32, and just kind of give us a kind of like the why behind this sermon. Well, you know, it's, it's kind of like I've been on this big, huge, long reflection, you know, about what happened to me last year, which the day after Thanksgiving is when I actually got injured right. and, uh, you know, getting ready to preach a funeral. And that, that in and of itself is a, a crazy story, 
and I'm like yelling for help and finally they get there and I look at Jeremiah I'm like Jeremiah you might have to preach this funeral and he's like what <laughs> I, but, I was uh, actually in Tennessee last year and I remember getting a call from Jeremiah and I'm just thinking like what in the world is yeah. like happening right now so I remember that and I was just like oh wow this is about to this is about to get tough yeah and so you know thinking about that and then going back and thinking about this whole story of Jacob you know the story is told but you know, my question was then, why did he have to have a limp? You know, right. couldn't he have done everything could have happened, still could have wrestled with God, still could have been. But God chose to to injure him so that he would have this limp, kind of like the, the Apostle Paul's thorn in the flesh, yeah. um, to really help him see that he has to be dependent on God. And so through that was making me think about, you know, uh, my life and, you know, through salvation, which is the first part of the the the, the thing, and then sanctification, which is the second part, and then how we still wrestle with God in our lives, and we want to be in control of everything, and then when something happens, we really have to find ourselves dependent upon God again, and it's just a reminder that that we do. So that was the whole gist of whether it came out that way or not. But that was the whole thinking process of trying to apply this to my life and trying to help other people maybe going through similar situations that we can look at Jacob's story. Because, I mean, if you think about it, uh, of all the patriarchs, he would be the last one any of us would choose to be like, okay, you're going to be the leader of a nation. He does kind of seem like the oddball out for that a little bit. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they were all flawed, of course. Right. And that's one thing I, I like to try to stress uh, when preaching about Old Testament and even New Testament saints, I know he's that quote in quotes because so often we put them on a pedestal and we make them better than what they really were when actually the scripture actually shows really how bad they really are and that they're in need of a Savior just as much as we are. Yeah, absolutely. And when I was uh, listening to your sermon uh, last night and this morning, there's a lot of details that I know you probably wish you could have got to that we couldn't. So that's kind of like the, kind of like how it kind of goes for a pastor. There's so much thing, there's so many things that we want to look into the scriptures and be able to say, but we have a little bit of a time limit and can't do that. So that's why we do this podcast. So looking forward to that. Um, Jeremiah, could you... Could you read the verses that Jeff preached from yesterday and pray for us, and we'll get into the podcast here. Yeah, so which verses? Uh, Genesis chapter 32, verses 22 through 32. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Yeah, I got you. All right, it says, The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched touched his hip socket. Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? Uh, And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. 
The sun rose upon him as he passed uh, Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel did not eat the sinew of the high thigh that is in the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. All right, thank you. Thank you, thank you. And uh, if you don't mind, just say a little prayer for our uh, podcast that we would just exalt Christ through it today. All right, God, thank you so much for our our time and uh, just a a good day yesterday uh, serving you and being with your people. Uh, Help our people today to know that uh, they're on mission and that they've been sent by you to uh, make your name known, to make you famous, and help us uh, to kind of coordinate that that effort and also to... uh, Prepare for the next week and and the things that you have for us, God. Help us to keep you the center of all that we do. And, of course, during this podcast, um, we're not just here to talk, uh, just just rambling, but uh, we want transformation, God. We want to grow closer to each other, help others who might be listening to to know more about you, God. So uh, continue to uh, work in our lives and uh, help us to keep you the center of everything we do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Jeremiah. So... Um, how, <clears throat> excuse me, how Jeff broke down his sermon was, uh, Jeff, your first point was Jacob's limp is a reminder of who Jacob was and who we are. So that's Jacob's limp is a reminder of who Jacob was and who we are. And as I got to looking at this, uh, the first uh, couple verses, sometimes <clears throat> when I read the scripture, I think from a skeptic's perspective. Like, if I'm an outside, if I'm a non-believer looking in, I'm going to wonder, like, what this passage is about. And sometimes we put, like you were saying, we put all these uh, Old Testament saints up on, like, this pedestal. And I think we have a reminder in verse 22 of why we shouldn't. Because this, the verses you use in your your sermon starts out with, this dude has two wives. So it's like... We already see from the get-go, this guy is not really somebody we should hold up on a pedestal because he's got two wives. Now, why? why? Well, he's actually got four. Four, yeah. Because he has two servant wives, too, basically. The women that came with their the wives, uh, they gave them up so they could have more children because their whole thing was if we have children, then then we're going to have uh, the blessings and the prosperity and everything that goes along with it. Okay, because that was actually a question that I had because yeah. I've never really understood. I mean, in a way, uh, obviously I do, but there, I never really understood, you know, why some of these had like four, five, six wives, two mm-hmm. wives. And I was wondering, you know, is that like a like a contextual thing that, that was going on or if there was like real reasoning behind it? or Well, uh, it wasn't uncommon because... Uh, if a wife was barren, yeah, that was like a curse. That was like the worst thing that could happen. So that's why you see Abraham, his wife is like, "Hey, give her my maid and have a child." You know, they're trying to they're trying to um, when God's already said He's going to bless them. So it's all, it's like a way of getting around God. Yeah. So here he is, uh, Jacob. The Jacob story, of course. He goes to his uncle. He wants to marry. Uh, Rachel, that's the one he's in love with. But their cousin, their custom was the older daughter gets married first. He knew that, but he was trying to circumvent the thing anyway. He figured I could still, if I work these seven years, I'm going to get this girl the one I want. Yeah, and this other one's going to be married off by then. Well, kind of like manipulating that. Situation. So, so yeah, so it's it's really just all the story of how we manipulate 
And, and so if you really wanted to say it, you could say, if you're, if you're here today, let's say you've been in four or five different relationships, you know, God still wants to save you. God still wants to, you know, in your struggle, he still, he, so when you look at it from that point of view is, yeah, they're sinners. He's got, he's a, he's the baby daddy for four women. He's got 11 kids, right. one on the way, you know, the younger one, Benjamin. So, so yeah, his life's messed up. But our lives are messed up too, and if we sugarcoat that and kind of like try to say, well, that's the, that was part of the customs and all that day, then really we're glossing over sin. It's it's really sin. He was trying to manipulate God and trying to control his own fate and everything. Too. I heard you mention that a lot yesterday about like um, how Jacob tried to manipulate God a little bit, and I got to thinking maybe for our listeners, Jeremiah, what are some ways that in twenty first century today we might. Christians might even try to manipulate God. Maybe unbelievers might try to manipulate God intentionally or maybe unintentionally. What are some ways that maybe you've seen or some ways that uh, maybe can bring to light how we might can maybe turn from that? Yeah, so like the number one way we try to manipulate God is, you know that prayer that we've all prayed? I know you've all done it. Where you pray and you're like, God, if you if you do this, I will serve you forever. Mm -hmm. It's some sort of form of that prayer. Right. And what you're essentially asking for is like, hey, God, if you'll you'll grant me this one wish, then I'll serve you forever, knowing that you're not going to serve. Like, you can try. I mean, I think that that prayer has the best intentions. Yeah. But at the end of the day, even if you get the thing that you want, which is normally something that's not that important— as soon as that thing that you got it becomes less important, you're like, well, obviously, God, I didn't mean I wanted to serve you forever. And it's a form of like us trying, thinking we have more control over our lives, thinking that uh, we have everything under control, but we go to God only when there's like something pressing that we can't control in our lives, but, but we want God to like grant it quickly. We need something fast. So we go to God for it. Um, and I, I don't want to give out any spoilers, but uh, if the, in the theaters right now is the new uh, Black Panther movie. Yeah. And essentially, the very first prayer is what she prays. But she's not praying to our God. She's praying to uh, Bast, I think is his name. Their, their God, whatever. Um, but she prays that same thing. Like, hey, if you do this, I won't say what it is because it's a spoiler, but... If you do this, God, I will serve you forever. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the the number one way in which we try to manipulate God. But ultimately, um, I, I mean, I can't think of a really good example of like, because God can't be manipulated. And so I think we try to manipulate God. We try to make God think that we're better off than we are so that I, like I serve you, God, so, uh, and I do a really good job, and because I'm good and I'm good at serving you, then I should be receiving certain benefits from me serving you. And I think we're not really manipulating God at that point. We're just trying to manipulate like religion, Christianity to work towards our favor. And, and ultimately, that's going to hurt us because it's making it about religion. And less about what God actually wants for you and what God's actual plan is for you and those types of things. So, yeah, when I was um, doing some research, um, one guy was like looking at like that. Uh, Jacob was 
he was always like trying to uh, have these contractual relationships. Mm. Like, I'll work for you for this wife. Well, now I have to work for you for another wife. Uh, I'll raise these cattle, and I get to keep the the spotted ones. You get these. So everything was contractual with him. I'll give you this bowl of beans if you give me that birthright. And so he's doing the same way with God. He's looking mm. as a contract. Mm. I, I'm not going to let go until you bless me. So he's like, you is like that, that prayer. He's saying like, you got to do this for me, and if you do that, then I'm going to serve you. So he so he goes from contractual to realizing. God's trying to show him, hey, it's not contractual, it's covenant. Yeah, that's why he asks him good. what your name is. And then he goes, well, what is your name? And he, like, he doesn't really tell him. He just shows him, I'm, I'm who I am. And he realizes, I'm, I was wrestling with God face to face, and he saved my life. You know, everything he was doing was trying to manipulate his brother. He sent everything, he sent all this stuff that he earned as a gift to his brother first, then he sends all of his children and his wives to, to the very last one that he loved the most. And they were all supposed to go forward so that the brother would see all them and, and change his heart and not kill him. So, so, so yeah, so in our lives, too, we, we, we still try to work out things with God as a contract. Like, I'll serve you, God, if, you know, I don't, I don't go to a certain place or do a certain thing or, you know, all that other stuff. We all do it. Uh, if you get me out of this hospital, if you if you save my daughter from the cancer, right. we all kind of make these contractual things when God's like saying, you know, it's not really about a contract, it's about a covenant. Yeah. And I'm going to be with you yeah. even if you have a lamp or even if you still, your circumstances aren't going to change. I'm here. And of course, we know that now through Jesus Christ uh, that God is going to be with us. And so that's the whole mindset. We got to transfer from contractual to covenant, which is similar to what we do with premarital counseling and stuff like that. We try to get people to realize and understand yeah. what you're doing, especially if you want to have a ceremony in a church. It's not really a contract. You do that with the government. We want to talk about a covenant. Right. What you're going to do is make a vow before God that, that you're coming into a covenant relationship with one another and a covenant relationship with Him is really what it's actually supposed to be. Well, I think that I think that's a good like defining thing because so many times we can look at like the word covenant and contract almost as like the same thing when really they're not. So I'm glad that you kind of bring that out for um for our listeners to see here and really when you look at the life of Jacob even just kind of studying up on it the past couple of days it actually doesn't surprise me that he does get to the point of wrestling with God and that's one thing that I want to kind of talk about today the wrestling with God part because um I know on a Sunday sermon you might not want to get into like tons and tons of details about this because like I said there's a lot of time but um there's a passage in Hosea chapter 12 that um, so there's let me back up a little bit so a lot of times in especially with Christians we want to read the Bible through a Christocentric lens and there's things in the Old Testament such as like Theophanies Christophanies and what you were saying yesterday Jeff is you think that this right here is a Christophany which I actually don't hate Here's a question that I want to propose to both of you. In Hosea chapter 12, you know, he says that Jacob was wrestling with an angel, but it's pretty clear in Genesis that he saw the face of God. 
So how do we kind of reconcile these two passages? How would you kind of how would you kind of explain this? Because uh, looking on the uh, just like surface on the just on the surface, there seems to be a little bit of a contradiction. But we know that Scripture doesn't contradict. So how would y'all go about that? Well, when you look at uh, what I read up to, of course, you know, this passage was just so huge and I was yeah. trying to narrow it down to the two points I was trying to make. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, so the scholars agree that anywhere that the Bible in the Old Testament has the angel of the Lord, capital A, yeah. is really a, a a synonym or like, like another reference or a name for this, what we would call a Christophany. Okay. And that uh, because it's capital A... Uh, and, and the angel actually means messenger. So really, the messenger that came to him in this form, this man that wrestled with him, he realized was God. And even when he said, um, you know, I, I mentioned his, uh, when he talked about it uh, later on, he, he basically acknowledged that that angel of the Lord redeemed him. So if it's an angel being, they can't redeem us. Right. But if it's the angel of the Lord... Uh, Another word for Messiah or the pre preincarnate Christ. Yes, they he's the one that can redeem us, and so um, so that's where the scholars kind of uh, show that that technically, when he says he was wrestling with an angel, of course we we're the ones that say angel. The Bible just says a man. The angel part comes in later on. So right, and something and that if he wants to add to that, that's kind of what I, like, when I was doing my research and all I looked at. Something that I thought was interesting in other translations outside of the New King James Version, they lowercase the M in man. But the New King James Version always capitalizes like pronouns or any references to like God. And man is actually capitalized in the New King James Version. Mm-hmm. So I think the translators would think that this is like a God-like figure, God, you know, something with God... Jeremiah, just so we can be clear here, define what a theophany and a Christophany is for the listeners. That way we can be kind of clear for them. Yeah, so theophany is just uh, an appearance of God pre-Jesus, like pre-incarnate Jesus, uh, pre-son uh, of Mary Jesus, yeah. <laughs> right? So that's any appearance, but... I personally believe that all of the theophanies most likely have to be Jesus. Right. Um, because Jesus is the one who's the image of the invisible God. Right. He's the one who takes on flesh. So if you see a fleshly type of God, it almost has to be, in my opinion, a Christophany. And a Christophany is just an appearance of Christ, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. That's a fancy way of just saying Jesus shows up before he does in the cradle. Mm-hmm. Like he yeah. he pops in. Because we know from Genesis chapter 1 that Jesus is present even at creation. Uh um but he he doesn't he's not incarnate. Like he doesn't be put on flesh or or come and dwell among us until Mary in the New Testament. So yeah. Matthew. Um so, but there, there are appearances that God, because like on the, on the mountain, he says, I can't pass before you because you'll die. Mm-hmm. Right? Like in Exodus 19. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And other places. And it's like, well, how does God interact with people like in an actual form 
Well, then those are all kind of what we would call theophanies or Christophanies. I don't really care which one you call it. Um, so, like, mo- probably the most famous one is like the, the three Hebrew children mm-hmm. that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Yeah. And and I do find it interesting there that they that the it's it's from the emperor himself, uh, not Darius, but Nebuchadnezzar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nebuchadnezzar actually from his own mouth says he, the, there's a he looks like a son of God. Yeah. Yeah. Which is another term for what in the Jesus. Bible? Well, Jesus, but the also Messiah, Messiah yeah. and angels. Yes. yes. They're like the sons of yes. God, yes. right? Yes. Like when you go back to Genesis early. And so I think it's just humans trying to like put into form, like trying to wrap their minds around what, what this type of being is. But clearly, always, it's a representation of God. Like it's it's yeah. Jesus. It's, it's God. It's the Trinity. It's Yahweh. Mm. Um, and so, and Yahweh, of course, we know manifests himself in different ways, mm-hmm. namely the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So, and, and experientially, I think Jesus, Christophanies make the most sense. Um, so I hope I put this on like everyone's level. But my, like one of my favorites is like Melchizedek. You read the story of Melchizedek. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, the who bears. the heck was yeah. that? Yeah, and it, that that, that it's actual, a very, he's a very mysterious kind. The of guy. old the Old Testament doesn't ever like claim anything about like him being Jesus or him being God. Uh-oh. But there's some clues in yes. there, like for instance, they do communion together. And they give him a tithe. Yeah, yeah, they give him, give him a tithe, and he blesses Abraham. So in like the Hebrew faith, like who's greater than Abraham? Mm-hmm. Well, really, just Yahweh. Right. I mean, there's no one else greater than Abraham. Yeah. Not even Moses. So it's like uh, this Melchizedek dude. But then the New Testament just straight up tells us, oh yeah, that that was Jesus. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like so. He was the priest. Incarnate. And that's all the way back in Genesis. Yeah. The, the pre-incarnate like Jesus. And so we have confidence. Basically, what I'm saying is, is this is not really conjecture. We can have confidence yeah. that. Jesus does show up, like specifically show up, and is active even before the incarnation. Yeah, and if I just want to kind of add to the way I look at theopony versus Christophany, like Christophany is like the, like he just said, it's like if there's like a man, an angel, capital A of God, Son of God. That would lean more to like the second person. It was like a person that, 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 you know, like the people that, uh, one of the guys coming to Lot, it was a, there was three people and they were talking to him. So one of them had, happened to actually be Jesus, you know, yeah. like he was trying to cut this deal to save Sodom and Gomorrah. But the way I look at Theophanes, because God is a spirit, so then like the burning bush, uh, all the firing off in the mountain when oh, Moses yeah. had this yeah. glow, uh, the smoke, uh, and then the fire, anything that's like the, the when, when, uh, the, the, the wind and, and the still small voice, all the stuff that's kind of spiritual, that would be like the theophany kind of thing. It's not like a really, a, 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 I can point to you and say, I wrestled with you face to face. But I, you know, Moses clearly was asking the burning bush, what is your name? And he's like, I am that I am. Sure. So that was, so I look at the theophanies more the spiritual uh, representations. And then the, the, the people like the Hebrew children, that was actually Jesus right there, you know, showing himself and revealing himself to this pagan God. And the rest of the people are saying, like, look, your gods are nothing. This is the real God right here. I think, and I think it's interesting, Jacob asked this man in Genesis 32 what his name is. Mm-hmm. Doesn't answer. Right. And I think and I think it's uh I think that even argues more for a Christophany. 
because, like you said, it wasn't time for his name, his, I guess, like his, I don't want to say his person to be revealed, but for Jesus to be revealed until until that fullness of time that fullness of time comes for him to be born of a woman under the law. Right, all he needed to know is I wrestle with God. Yeah. And uh, so just like Moses, what is your name? I am that I am. You know, at this point in time, he was just revealing, he wasn't going to give him a name. He was just going to let him figure it out himself that, yeah, this was God that I've wrestled with. And when it comes to encountering God, I think that's a good transition to go into your second point here, and that was this. Jacob's limp is a reminder of who Jacob became and we become. Because you said that whenever uh, a lot of us can wrestle with God, but in the Old Testament, whenever somebody gets a name change, it does show that there is transformation there. So this event that him wrestling with God was kind of negative in a sense because he came out limping from it but he also became transformed into a i guess a believer if you will um expound on that a little bit more with your yeah so so if you look at the first part clearly that's a very evangelistic kind of thing because we all wrestle with god we all need to come face to face with him we all need to submit let go you know receive the blessing that's given freely we don't have to earn it we don't have to manipulate and all that other stuff we always do and so the second part i look more like uh, from that point on in his life is a whole different story of jacob mm. you know he can't outrun anybody anymore he can't really fight anybody um he's really going to have to just trust in god because now all of his sons are getting older and they're starting to do things that they're they should or shouldn't do and then if you know the rest of the story you know they go uh, with Joseph and all that. So if you look at Jacob's life from then on out, it's different because now he knows he has to depend on God 100%. It's, he can't, he couldn't fight off all of his boys. If they wanted to, they could kill him, you know. So so basically from that point on, I look more like sanctification because we get saved and like all of our stories, you know, most of you guys, like if you get saved at a younger age, then later on you kind of struggle and like, what am I supposed to do? You know, I'm learning more about sin and stuff. Then you kind of re-surrender and all this other stuff. So this wrestling match really continues out throughout the rest of our life until we die. Yeah. But the sanctification part comes in that we, we do have a different identity now. We're no longer, you know, Jeff or Jeremiah or Blake. We're, uh, I'm a Christian named Jeff. You're a Christian named Blake. You're a Christian named Jeremiah. That's our number one identity now. And so now we live the rest of our life that way. And so we're still going to face struggles, difficulties, problems. I mean, he did, clearly. Um, And so how we react and how we uh, give glory back to God through all these is the main thing. And so the last time he's mentioned is when he blesses his his, uh, sons and then his grandsons. And the Bible says in Hebrews, by faith he did this, uh, and he leaned on his staff, while he worshiped God and then he died. Mm-hmm. And so so he went from a, a life of manipulation to a life of faith. Mm-hmm. And so that's the same way with us because we still want to, I mean, we still want to be, be in control in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. We still fight. We still try to contract with God and all those other things. But now we realize, you know, regardless of my circumstances, regardless of what I face, God is going to be with me and I need to trust in him. 
And that's always the difficult thing, especially for strong-willed people to say, all right, not my will anymore, but yours be done. Yeah. Jeremiah, it seems like <clears throat> it seems like this uh, this encounter that Jacob has, um, you could, a lot of people could look at this and be like, well, he walked out with a limp, you know. It seems like there was a little bit of uh, unmerc, you know, very not merciful things that were given to him. But really, this does seem like a passage where Jacob was given a lot of grace, even though it was a little bit of a tough encounter for him. Sometimes grace can be tough in a way, but it's for our it's for our sanctification. Kind of expound on that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what you're looking for. <laughs> oh, yeah. so I'm gonna take this. Yeah. I'm gonna take it how I want. To, All right, go ahead. Yeah, because yeah. that's what I do. Yeah, uh, but. Uh, I had a privilege of knowing uh, Dr. Bandy growing up, and he preached on this. I, I do think that we probably uh, make way too much of this story sometimes, like we over-spiritualize it, and I don't think Jeff did. Um, and and the fact that you bring up like the, the Hebrews passage, because you're talking about the, like the highlights of, and it's not mentioned. Mm-hmm. In fact, I don't think the, wrestling with God is mentioned in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. The ladder is mentioned, so Jacob's ladder is mentioned uh, as like a type of Christ type thing, and maybe a reference to the resurrection. Um, but uh, and then the, the the last thing, and then of course there's twelve tribes. So Jacob becomes Israel. Then all of those children that he had with the four wives, there's twelve of them eventually, uh, and then they become the twelve tribes of Israel. And then of course one's chosen Judah. So, you know, the, the future part, like all pointing to Jesus. Um, but to get kind of to the heart of your question, um, I do think that Jacob here has an encounter with God that is probably unique to Jacob that we probably shouldn't try to throw ourselves in there. We can spiritualize it and say, like, we all need to wrestle with God. And that's a true statement. Right. But I think, I think God is doing something intentionally to forward his plan, and we see that throughout the rest of Scripture. Like, I just kind of went over it. Like, mm-hmm. he has 12 sons. One of them's name is Judah. And then, of course, they all go to Egypt and Joseph, because of Joseph and what Joseph did. and all. So, like, all of that's super important to what God's doing to redeem all of humanity, not just Israel. But um, So it's a super important story. But... Jacob here has an encounter with God, and and we can look at all the encounters with God, and we realize that every person that has like a special, unique encounter with God, um, they always leave changed. They always leave, I think, for the better, but they always leave changed. Um, and and that's not just spiritually. I think physically and spiritually, all of them do. So like Moses, Moses encounters God, right? And then he has the, he's like shining and has gray hair, whatever yeah. that means. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> whatever that means. And then, of course, Jacob here, he walks away with a limp and. Paul is blinded by the light. Paul is blinded, and some people think that was like a, a future, like, like he kept like a struggle with eyesight. But either way, like he, he walked away definitely different than changed. Mm-hmm. And so when we have an encounter with God, we're going to walk away changed. That's just the way it is. Um, and I think that's true for all of us. We all are going to encounter God and we'll walk away uh, changed if you have a true encounter with the living God, like if you truly turn to Him. And so I don't know if that's where you're wanting to like, kind of answer. Um, but I do, I do 
I don't know. I feel like we might get bogged down with like the like this story, trying to see ourselves in it. Um, and it's just really tough. If you look, if you come at this story from that angle, it's very tough to interpret. Like, yeah. Because it's like, uh, when did I have that? When did I wrestle? Well, I think I... that's helpful for our listeners because yeah. I think some of us may struggle, you know, may interpret that through the wrestling and maybe not so much on God's providence side yeah, of interpreting yeah. that. So I think that's a really good point that you bring up there. Yeah. And I really like that because here we even see God's providence, how he's really in control, like you were saying, Jeff. Jacob wasn't in control, but God was. And even in this passage here, he's working to may form a people for himself to bring about this Messiah. And that's what we're going to celebrate here at Christmas. And that he came to rescue the world through the gospel, through his uh, virgin birth, his perfect life, his death, his resurrection, and how he was our substitute. And if we turn to him in faith and repentance that and confess him as Lord, we will be saved. So I really like how, I really think that's a good spot to probably end on because you do see that, uh, God is working to bring about this Messiah for his people and to keep that covenant he made to Abraham that he would have descendants of all nations and that um, Jesus is the one who brings that about. So I'm really, uh, really glad that you brought that up. Jeff, what, um, what, uh, well, I don't, I don't, yeah. let me, before we end, let me, yeah. let me just go over kind of like the heart of the sermon and yeah. maybe kind of apply that. The heart of the yeah. sermon is that, look, if you, if you're going through a tough time, a very hard time in your life, you you know that you can turn to God, right? right. And um, and actually, Jeff, you've never actually said it, and maybe you don't want to, uh, so don't if you don't want to. Okay. But it sounds like from sermon, like all these sermons, you almost feel like God caused you to fall. It just it sounds like, and I'm not saying that you think that that maybe that this was a way you're definitely trying to see it as a wake-up call yeah um and that you're trying to lean on god and i love that um no i don't think i don't think god caused it like everything in life yeah god it doesn't necessarily cause it but when it happens you can either blame god and get better and like why did you make this happen and blah 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 or why didn't you prevent it at least yeah yeah or and why can't my leg be perfectly healed now yeah because in life um everybody experiences things that happen yeah and we and we sometimes we think well maybe god's punishing me or god's done this to me but the main thing is that no matter what happens in your life God can still get the glory out of it. And I think that's what uh, the story about Jacob is because now he has to tell everybody, why did you get that limp? (laughs) He's like, well, I I actually wrestled with God face to face. What? So just imagine that story. And all of his sons knew it. Joseph oh, knew man. it. Pharaoh knew it. They yeah, all knew every it. Every Thanksgiving, they're like, oh, yeah. bro, this story. And they're like, yeah. they're like, they're all like, wanting to you get, know I won, right? The, yeah. And they all want the, the, the leg the leg that has that nice meat. They're like, we can't eat it. Like, what? Yeah. You mean you can't eat that, that tenderloin the right tenderloin. there, man? Come on. No. Why not? Cause remember grandpa, remember yeah. great, great, great. And so it's just a reminder, you know, that... Uh, that no matter what happens to you in life, you know, uh, yeah, could God have prevented it? Did I have to really go through it? Probably not, uh, and probably so. 
But it happened. So now that it happened, what do I do with what happened to me? And so that's the thing is now what can I learn from it? How can I use this? How can I use this story to further telling people that may be going through very similar circumstances or others? Because that's why, you know, because we all have limps. We all have things that we've went through. Um, you know, we all have a past like Jacob. And so the, the thing is, it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, an, it's an invitation to say, okay, so what if your life's messed up? You know, let's say you're just a modern man. You've got three baby, three different women with babies. You know, is there room for me at the table with God? Mm. And most church people would kind of point the finger at that person and say, well, that person's just a huge sinner. Um, I don't know if we should let them in our church. I don't know if we should reach out to them, you know, because they're just sinners. Yes, but there's room at the table. And so that's the whole point of the whole thing is, because all throughout my whole encounter thing that happened to me, you know, I, I tried to find ways to, to tell people about Jesus through it all. You know, because it was kind of, it's really comical when you think about it. Because when I tell people now, it's like I laugh about it because, you know, I, I, I hurt my leg, getting ready to preach a funeral, yeah. yelling like the woman on the TV. Not very good. Time. Finally, somebody sees me. Yeah. And I'm like cutting a deal with the EMTs. If y'all can get me in a wheelchair, I'm going to do a funeral. I'm doing a funeral for a guy named Jeff. My name's Jeff. He was in a wheelchair his whole entire life. I'm in a wheelchair. Mm. Um, so it's really just, I mean, everybody I've told it to, and like doctors and nurses and all are like, what? So it's, it's just another fathering of, you know, getting to the point of, yeah, so I, I had to lean on God through all of that. I had to lean on God and the church and our pastors through everything, which for somebody like me that uh, was very independent, very focused, very driven, very uh, type A in a lot of ways, um, very manipulative, learned it growing up, you know, all those kind of things to say, okay, <laughs> you know, I, what am I going to do now? I mean, everything I depended on, everything I, was my strengths and all that I thought that I was in control, I'm not. So so, so through all that, then you realize, okay, this is another way of surrendering and come to the point in your life where you're like, okay, God, what can you do? How can you use this story to, to reach people for Christ? And so that's ultimately what the ultimate goal was. And to... Not not be ashamed of the lamp, but use now. So now, if I got fraternity brothers, why can't you hit the golf ball like you used to and all this? Other, I got a story yeah. to tell. Yeah, you know, and not just tell the story about the the fall and the hurt, but say, you know, but it's worth it because you know I serve Christ and it may give me an opportunity to to share Christ, which it has. And so that's that's the main thing is, uh, and and that's what uh, Jacob did. He talked about his encounter with God and how it changed his life, and that's what we're supposed to do. He said, I live to tell the story. Mm. We all live to tell the story each and every day of our life. You know, we have the story to tell. And we all have different things that happen in our lives. Like, you have children, and so you have a whole opportunity to relate to people that I can't because I don't have children. You know, we're married, so we can relate to people that are married. I got married later in life. He's not married right now. 
so he can relate to people that aren't married. So so God uses everything, all of our circumstances and everything, if we let him to advance, like you said, the greater story, yeah. which is which is trying to figure out a way to have a relationship with someone, to have a connection with someone when you when you're having those conversations to say, uh, you know, we're 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 just like each other. And yeah, and if your life's messed up, well, welcome to my world. But you know what? God's going to be there in the mess. Because, I mean, they wrestled in the mud, the blood, the sweat, the dust. Uh, and that's what Jesus wants to do with it. He wants to get in our messes and help us get out of it. So. Yeah, absolutely. I've always uh, been reminded of... Um, like. So did that answer your question? Yeah, I mean... Uh, yeah, I just... We kind of need to put a bow on this saga, yeah. your whole knee saga. So, yeah. like, I mean, it's been a year. Yeah. Um, the church felt it. I mean, we were we were right there with you. Yeah. Um, but it's not just your situation. You're wanting to apply it to, like, everyone's situation. Mm-hmm. And yours is, is not unique, uh, but we can use it as an example because it wasn't just the fall. I mean, it was like everything in your life was super chaotic. Mm-hmm. Like, um People are dying. Mm-hmm. Sisters are falling. You fell. Um, we didn't know it at the time, but Eileen was kind of struggling with whether she wanted to, to continue mm-hmm. in, in her position and all that stuff. And um, so it just everything felt like for you, like it was chaos. Like there was mm-hmm. no one in control. And and for me, like I was, I look at this story and it's like, Okay, how is he actually beating Jesus in a wrestling match? Mm-hmm. Well, then you you get to the end and it's like, oh, he touched his hip mm-hmm. and it goes out of socket. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, he was in control the whole time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like <laughs> the whole time, it yeah. felt chaotic. Yeah. It felt like we have more control than we do. Like J- Jacob had more control than he did. Yeah, He's like, I was even winning. Oh wait. <laughs> no, I didn't even have a chance. Right. Like, but not just that. It's, I'm in. I, I'm in less control than I think I am. But I know and lean on the fact that God is always in yes. control, even when it looks like it's chaotic. And and uh, I hate to even bring up like Jeff Moss and what they're going through. Oh like, yeah, like I mean, just, you look at everything. You know. Yeah, I mean, and that's. I mean, since this will be a good tie-in. Because we're going to talk about the greatest Christmas gift, and it's Ooh. Ephesians two, eight and nine. Okay, you know. Okay, is that next week's sermon? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so grace, and so grace—that grace that wrestles with you—is the same grace that will hold you mm. and hug you. You know, that's the awesome thing about grace. Cool. And so, I mean, think about them. I mean, I imagine there's been a lot of what ifs and struggling and lost oh, yeah. sleep and how's God going to get glory out of this and I mean all those struggles we go through I mean that's the whole point we have to go through that in our heart and our mind to get on the same page with God and uh, like Jeremiah was saying is we think we're in control yeah you know like that song he touched me that's like a song that's a tearjerker and everybody thinks about God touching them in like this this you know padding kind of way but I mean, Jacob got got touched mm-hmm. by the same grace, by the same hand of God, and so um, you know we just have to realize everything we go through in life. Everybody's there's always people watching us, 
And it's the people, a lot of times it's the people in our churches that have been raised up in church or they're part of a culture of churchianity and Christianity and they really don't know if it's really real or not. Maybe they've never really made a profession of faith. Maybe they're like looking and seeking and searching and they're looking. And even the ones that have had a bad experience, maybe they went the bitter end, they're looking. And then the others too, that maybe they went through the same thing, but they're giving glory to God. They're watching too. And so, um, you know, we're just there to be that jar of clay, like, you know, the jar of clay that it was, it was uh, he's talking about a fragile jar that's mm-hmm. actually got some cracks in it. Yeah. Because the only way a light can shine through a jar is if it has cracks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we're supposed to do, that even in our cracks and hurts and problems, we're still displaying that light that well, shines. And honestly, right now during the Christmas season, I think it's one of the best times to do that. Because yeah. a lot of people... Um, if they've experienced uh, some deaths this year, the Christmas season really, really stinks for them. Mm-hmm. They're going to be hurting. There's going to be a lot of the people who are around us are hurting. And I think it's a great time to share the gospel with them and just love on them during this time. And like you said, just kind of go for and just uh, be some be some ambassadors for Christ during this time. Yeah, Absolutely. Any last thoughts, fellas? I've had a really fun time uh, hosting this podcast for the first time so listeners if it's terrible i will try to get better i promise <laughs> but uh it's been a lot of fun with you fellas i've learned a lot and i'll be honest i've always kind of struggled with how to interpret this passage so i really appreciate y'all's help it's been real beneficial for me just to get to kind of hear y'all out on this and i'm sure it is for our listeners as well so we will see you on the next one and so long <laughs>